and good morning once again. The current time is 9 a.m. on the nose on this Thursday, the 13th of August. And we're very pleased to welcome you to today's edition of Community Pulse, the locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri, run by your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. On today's program, we are so very pleased for the third consecutive Thursday in a row to welcome back public health professional and certified professional midwife, Sarah Davis, who will be discussing recent scholarship with host Dr. Elizabeth Alleman. On the discussion docket today, we have two scholarly studies, also one newspaper article, including in the latter study, we have uh, perhaps some alarming news about uh, transmission through air furnace filters. So, without further ado, we will uh, turn it over to the ladies. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Peter, and good morning, Sarah. Good morning. So, I wanted to start with just doing a few little numbers. Um, so, I think one of the numbers that uh, parents in uh, the local area are going to be watching is that the um, the n- number that the Columbia Public Schools is using as their metric about which plan is going into effect. 14-day new case rate per 10,000 is 20 as of yesterday. Um, the uh, new cases were 16 um, on the 12th. Uh, they were 23, down 23 from the day before. Our seven-day average is staying about the same. And in Missouri, um, we are still seeing... Um, a fair amount of trans transmission. So we had uh, we're up to sixty three thousand three hundred ninety five cases with one thousand three hundred ninety three cases in the last twenty four hours. Um, uh, our uh, seven day average has plateaued um, around a little bit above a thousand cases a day, um, down from around thirteen hundred, and uh, the seven day average of positive PCR test percentage is 10%. That's coming down a little bit. It's still way higher than what we need it to be. And number of deaths in Missouri so far documented uh, connected to coronavirus, 1,439. Um, And uh, Matthew Holloway is noticing the changes in the number of cases in Pike County since the Pike County Fair ended. And there were Oh, 70 some cases before the fair, and there have been 62 cases since the fair at the beginning of this month. So, those are the numbers. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for pointing out these studies, and I'm wondering which one you want to start with. I would like to start with the one about masks. I have yeah. two studies that have um, spawned a whole bunch of news articles this week, and they're just adding more pieces to the puzzle of our growing understanding of SARS-CoV-2. But the first one um, that began began popping up in articles at the beginning of the week is called Low-Cost Measurement of Face Mask Efficacy for Filtering Expelled Droplets During Speech. And this study was published uh, as a preprint in Science Advances, so it's published ahead of print, but it has been peer-reviewed and accepted by the journal. It's available online for anybody to read, and it has seven authors, Emma Fisher, Martin Fisher, David Grass, Isaac Henrion, Warren Warren, and Eric Westman. They're all affiliated with Duke University. In this case, 
they were really curious about how good the different types of masks that people are wearing are at reducing the number of respiratory droplets that, of course, might be infectious, that get through the different types of masks while people are speaking. And then they were also very curious about whether or not they could develop a way to measure that that other people could use, um, and then we would have a standard method for measuring. Right, and this is really helpful because there's been a lot of questions like why would masks work if mm -hmm. viruses are far smaller than the holes in fabric? Right. And that, we, we aren't sure. It seems that masks <laughs> do work, and we're positing that it's because the viruses do not fly around just on their own. They right. are being carried by either large or small or tiny droplets of mm -hmm. water and secretions, which are mostly yep. water, that people expel during their speaking, mm -hmm. talking, shouting, singing, yep. wailing, Coughing, sneezing, breathing. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And so this is to look at, okay, well, since it appears that mask wearing is being effective, the best way we can measure, um, mm -hmm. how do we measure, like, the question is like, okay, I'm going to wear a mask, what should I make it out of? Right. Continues to be a question. Right, right. It's a very, very good question. So in this case, these researchers developed uh, a pretty inexpensive method for testing droplet spread through different kinds of masks. And it is described in great detail in the supplemental materials of the study so that other researchers can try it too. They report, and this is exciting to me because it involves lasers and I thought that sounded like fun, um, that you could purchase the materials for the setup for $200 or less, including the laser. And if you download the study, um, you are also able to see the camera settings that they used with their cell phone and the exact measurements of the box that they used. So how exactly did this study work? First, they built a box uh, and they lined it with black material. And full disclosure, this is not a fancy box. It's just a box. <laughs> um, you could make it out of cardboard. Out of, or plywood and, or something like that. Mm -hmm, yep, and line it with black material. Yeah. If you imagine the size as the cardinal directions, they cut a hole that was 18 centimeters in diameter for the mask wearer's face on the south side. They put a hole for a cell phone camera, which in this case, in this study, was a Samsung Galaxy on the north side. And they put narrow slits for a green laser on the east and the west sides. So the laser is shining through the box, creating a light screen. Okay. So they turned the laser on, went through the laser slits. They had a person who wore each of 14 masks stand on the south side with their face in that hole and speak the words, stay healthy, people, five times with a pause <laughs> in between. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was clever. Um, while the cell phone camera took pictures of the light scattered by the respiratory droplets passing through the light screen that was created by the laser. And these pictures show the droplet pattern that happens during speaking with each mask. And then the researchers analyzed those pictures with a computer program that allowed them to 
assess the number of particles in the box during each bout of speaking with each different kind of mask. So altogether, they evaluated 14 different types of masks. Um, it's a and mixing the material. Of the masks are in the in the That's article, correct. and they are. That's correct. They, mm-hmm. Anybody who's been wearing masks or out in public will recognize, like, oh, that looks like the mask I wear. Yep. Oh, that looks mm-hmm. like the mask I saw somebody else wear. There's the. They have one of the uh, manufactured disposable uh, masks that like surgeons wear. Right. It does not, and an and an N95 respirator mm-hmm. mask. Yep. Yep. Okay. And they and intentionally made and purchased ones. Right, exactly. They intentionally chose masks that are commonly being used. It's not an exhaustive collection of masks, and that wasn't the intention. Um, and in fact, that's partly why they're publishing their methods so carefully, because they would like for other people to be able to use the same method to test other kinds of masks. So there are 14 types of masks. You can look at them in the pictures. Um, on online, mix of materials and styles, and they also had the person speak with no mask. That's the control version, since this is an experiment. The speaker in the study and the wearer of the masks was an adult man, and he did take a sip of water in between trials. They cleared the air in the box in between different types of mask wearing um, using flowing air that was I believe going through a HEPA filter. And then they also waited for, I believe, at least 10 minutes after they had cleared it. So what did they find? And this is where the study has been most widely quoted by newspapers. And one of the things that led me to the study was um, a whole series of headlines about gaiters, um, which is one of the types of masks that they evaluated. and the, the headlines were primarily that gaiters, especially as they, as they describe it in the study, a fleece neck gaiter, it's not actually made out of fleece, like polar fleece or woolen fleece, um, but it's actually made out of a stretchy knit material, the version that they used mm-hmm. in the study, uh, might actually transmit more droplets than wearing no mask at all. So we don't know for sure why, but one possible reason is that the material and the type of mask gator used in the study actually broke the larger droplets that the person was expelling into smaller droplets, which then scattered more widely and hung in the air longer than the original larger droplets would have. Oh, for goodness sakes, now we're going to be in a fight about you're wearing the wrong mask. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it with some mud-colored glasses this morning. Okay, great. This is great information, so we can all up our mask Right. And again, this is just another little piece of the puzzle, and we'll talk through, so what are the takeaways from the study, and then what are the limitations? Because it's one study, and it's one piece of the puzzle in our continuing understanding. And they only tested one gator, so it's possible that That's if somebody correct. replicates this, they could look at all the different gators and exactly. whatever. Exactly. And for less than $200, you could buy the laser that you would need to do it. So if you if you already have a cell phone and um, the ability to and get a laser, make a box. right, you yourself could set up the study. So the main takeaways from this study, and you again can look at this online. You can look at the at the graphs and the results for each of the masks. Um, a well fitted 
So properly used, non-vented N95 mask, transmitted no detectable droplets during speech in this study. Cotton masks with two and three layers and multiple different styles generally performed well, although not quite as well as the cotton polypropylene masks. The cotton masks overall transmitted between one-tenth and one-fifth the number of droplets as the same person when he was wearing no mask. And this is interesting. The cotton mask with two and three layers performed about as well as an N95 mask with an exhaust vent. And if you've seen an N95 mask, um, a lot of the time, ones that you might buy for construction work or, you know, sanding in your house or something like that have an exhaust vent, uh, and that's to help you be comfortable so that moisture doesn't build up around your face. The problem is that if we're trying to keep your air and your exhaust with you, (laughs) um, then we can't be venting it out to other people. Right, and it's interesting to me that in this one study, those with the exhaust vent, which are not considered to be something that meets the current um, Columbia mask ordinance, functioned as well as the two- to three-layer cotton masks, Mm -hmm. which do. Yep, they had very, very similar efficacy. Mm -hmm. So as we get less effective, we see that masks that are made, made from knits, and that doesn't mean that somebody actually sat and knitted it, with knitting needles, that means like a stretchy material. Like what you make um, a t- T-shirt out of. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those were less effective than cotton masks, but more effective than bandanas. Double-layer bandanas in this particular study did not perform well. Um, they transmitted over twice as many droplets as the least effective cotton mask, and more than half uh, as many droplets as wearing no mask at all. Okay. So some of the limitations of this study um, are that there was one speaker and the person was only speaking. Um, So it's possible that masks might work differently when different people are wearing them. Uh, It might be that when people shout or sing or cough or sneeze or whisper, um, that different amounts of droplets or different droplet patterns happen. And, of course, how well a mask fits matters a lot. We know that that's true even before this study. Right. But something to point out, because some of the the news articles I read this week that were uh, suggesting that this study was not very useful were pointing out that having only one speaker was um, a serious limitation, and it is, but it's also a very big strength. Because in this study, they are actually comparing just the masks. So it's called a within-subject design. So instead of comparing different people wearing the masks, they're comparing only one person wearing lots of different masks. You know, so it's the same wearer. Right. So that's, that's both a limitation and a big strength. And something else to consider is when people are doing future research, while it will obviously be really important to test masks on more people, It's also true that that's going to be a real puzzle for the experimenters because it will involve a whole other level of cleaning. Um, You're having people put their face up to a box. Um, (laughs) So Yes, but the box is probably the least expensive part of this whole thing, and I imagine that the uh, laser and the 
cell phone camera are not you could you could arrange that they would not be contaminated in any way. So you um, could Well, the laser probably not because it is outside of the box on the side. The cell phone camera is actually directly across from the speaker and in fact the authors did mention that the camera um was wiped down in between uses, not because um that would affect the droplet pattern, but because it would affect the photographs because, in gotcha. fact, droplets do get to the camera. <laughs> okay, so somebody might need to modify it with a protective shield over the camera or something. That could yeah, be people, are, people are very creative. People are clever, right? yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so get going, folks. Let's get, <laughs> yeah. let's get some more information. I can also hear some potential criticisms of people who are going to say, um, yeah, so this shows that uh, droplets get through everything but an N95. Mm-hmm. That's right, and that's exactly what it did show. However, there is a huge difference between 10% of droplets getting through and 60 or 70 or 80% of droplets getting through. Right, and 100% of droplets because you aren't wearing anything. And right. what we what we believe we know about this virus and would be consistent with all other viruses is that you it's not that one virus is enough to infect most people. That in general, you need a viral load. You need a, I think it's several million viral copies to land in your nose for you to actually get sick. Mm -hmm. And we think what's happening is that you have intrinsic uh, parts of your immune system that protect against anything, whether it's pollen or, or any virus. And those are things like the gooeyness of your snot and such. And it takes a significant number to overwhelm those defenses so that you then need a specific defense. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to say about this this article? Yeah. There are just a couple more limitations to consider. Um, one thing to know about this study is that while they were calibrating the box and the camera, they did have three more people in addition to the main speaker try out several of the masks in order to be sure that they were um, capturing similar droplet patterns for each person. Um, mm-hmm. so that they could calibrate their box. So they did actually test several of the masks on more than one person, although that was not the main point of the study. That was actually to calibrate their equipment. We mentioned this before, but it's very possible that gaiters that are designed differently or made out of different material might work differently than the one used in the study. This is important. Uh, the wearer was probably wearing the masks under ideal and well-fitted conditions, We don't have a way to check that in this study, Um, but the difference between ideal or perfect use and actual real-life human use is often big, Mm -hmm. and that's something to consider in future studies. Also, the cell phone camera, even with the settings that are specified by the researchers, has limited ability to detect very, very small particles. In this case, that's true for all the pictures that the cell phone took, so we're still comparing apples to apples, and we're comparing the droplet spread that the cell phone could see, you know, for all the masks. So it doesn't necessarily affect the analysis of the mask in comparison to each other, but it's something to consider. You know, we're not capturing every possible droplet. We're capturing the ones that uh, a very good cell phone camera can see under the settings that they're using. One other thing to consider is that the cell phone camera could only photograph the light scatter from droplets in the laser light screen. So other droplets in the box 
or that escape from the size of the speaker's mask or the top or the bottom wouldn't necessarily be detected in this study. So this is gotcha. this is not all-encompassing. This is just the start of a way that we could evaluate masks in a in a standard way that other people could could use. The main takeaway from this study is that the most effective masks besides the N95, the fitted N95s that are non-vented, are cotton or cotton polypropylene with more than one layer and pleated. Okay. Yep. Uh, thank you for that. And then the next study is um, <clears throat> looking at uh, looking at this question of do these tiny little droplets, these aerosols that hang in the air, what about them? Right. And we've been there's been this international debate about whether it's only droplets or it's aerosols. And really what we're trying to figure out is how far away do people need to be and do we need to be worried about <clears throat> heating, ventilation, and air conditioning system. It's this whole airborne is the word that's often used, but I, it, it, I think that's a confusing distinction. It's how big of the droplets have active virus particles in them. Right. Right. And in this case, we're talking specifically about aerosols. And right. so those are very, very tiny, I believe five micrometers or less, um, teeny tiny droplets of solids or liquids that are actually suspended in gas, which in this case is the air. So we're not just talking about particles that land on something. We're talking about particles that are so small, they can be suspended in and continue to hang out in the air that's inside buildings or any other place that people might be encountering it. Right. And one of the things that has been so confusing is that we haven't been able to figure out if the particles that we were finding, either on surfaces or in the air, were actually infectious. And this is partly because I mean, you may have heard about researchers detecting viral um, RNA or the ribonucleic acid, which is different from DNA. It only has one strand, but it's the same idea. It's a genetic material. Um, so you may have heard of them detecting it on surfaces or in the air, but not knowing whether it was infectious or not. And part of that is because it's in the act of detecting it, we often, um, we often prevent ourselves from then being able to try and grow it later. <laughs> like we've caught it and amplified it with PCR technology or something, but now we can't put it in a growth medium to see if we can make it grow. Right. And it is hard to grow viruses. Yes. Right. I am not a virologist, but yes, that is, that is, that is true. So this particular study, um, which hit the headlines yesterday and a whole series of um, news articles about whether or not SARS-CoV-2 might be transmissible via aerosols, is from 20 researchers at the University of Florida. It's been posted on a preprint server. So in this case, this is not the actual journal publishing it. Um, it may have been submitted to a journal, but we don't know that. Um, it has not been accepted for publication at this time or peer-reviewed by a journal. In this study, the researchers decided that instead of just trying to find the viral RNA, they were going to try to catch it in such a way that they could immediately put it into a growth medium. 
So the purpose of the study was not just to see if the virus was there, but to see if they could grow it when they found it. And specifically looking at the air. So the researchers sampled air at seven and 16 feet from hospitalized COVID-19 patients in Florida. This is actually two patients that they took samples from. And they put the samples immediately into a growth medium. The patients were laying down in their hospital beds at the time the samples were taken. And the big result, which is what has prompted all these news articles, is that the researchers were able to grow SARS-CoV-2 from the samples, which means that the samples were infectious. Now, having said that, one of the limitations of the study is that we don't know if the amount of infectious material that they had in the samples was actually enough to infect a person, as the right. study was only designed to find out if the material was actually infectious or could actually be grown. And to be clear, it's not ethical for us to try to infect people. You know, that's not something that we can do. That would be the ideal way to um, check that in a randomized control trial, but that's, that's obviously not a, a thing that we could actually do in real life. Um, so we have to get our puzzle pieces in other ways like this. Right. I want to also point out that the air samples were collected in a room that was part of a COVID-19 ward. The room mm -hmm. had six air changes per hour that's and exhaust correct. air underwent triple filtration treatment. Right. Uh, with, so the hospital uh, was being very careful. Yes. Yes. Right. 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 This. This. Um, so this was not, and they were also very careful <clears throat> to clarify that the um, that the patient had not undergone any aerosol generating procedures, right. which is some of the things we do to people in hospitals create more aerosols than what people not in hospitals and people not undergoing those procedures would be expected to. Exactly. Right. So the researchers were very careful to clarify that while, yes, this was a COVID-19 part of the hospital, what that actually meant was exactly what you just said, that they had more air ventilation and more um, HVAC system filtration happening than they do in other parts of the hospital. And I think that six air changes an hour is actually well above the, um, I would have to look it up, but well above the um, more typical number of air changes um, in most institutional buildings. Um, I think so too. And, and yes, they were quite clear that while we know that there are some things that you can do to a person in the hospital, like intubate them, that create a lot of aerosols, those little tiny particles, um, that that's not what was happening. These people were just laying in their hospital beds. Um, they weren't right. being examined or otherwise um, doing anything that would create more droplets. So I see that we are running near the end of our time, and I wanted to just point out that the two news articles I included was 24 cast members from North Platte Community Playhouse test positive for COVID-19. That it is not stated what the North Platte folks in Nebraska were doing, but on the, there's a photograph of three people on a stage, which appears very much to be indoors, 
They are standing very close to each other, not six feet apart, and they appear to be singing as they rehearse for a production of Mamma Mia that has been canceled. And this is as the um, I am seeing in the Jefferson City newspaper that CCP is to present a musical uh, starting this weekend. So um, we are, it, it, this is a rapidly evolving situation. Also, mm-hmm. the Columbia Public Schools is pointing out that their HVAC systems, they're looking into them, and it is not clear that they can get these better, air, finer air filters, like not better, but filter out smaller particles, whether they are available and whether the supply chain will hold and whether they will, their furnace systems will are compatible with that. So people are looking at these things and paying attention mm-hmm. to them and trying to implement them, and it's not as right. easy as you might think. That's exactly true. Um, and a couple takeaways from this second article, which can sound really scary as an article, um, although it's also really helpful to have more information because the more information we have, the better we can make plans for the things that we do need to have happening in communities. Um, one of the limitations is that we do not know if hospitalized people um, were for some reason expelling more droplets that were turning into aerosols and other infected people. And we don't have a way to check that in the study. Um, but another, and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to cut you off, Sarah. We do have a hard boundary right now. Okay. At 9:30, so that the next show can start. Yes. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, <clears throat> wash your hands, wear your mask, take your vitamin D and uh, have a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a virus. And we will be back in your ears on Monday morning with a, our last week of four days, four days. And then uh, after that, we'll be back to, we're going down to two days a week of Monday and Wednesday. Thank you so much, Peter. Thank you so much, Dr. Alleman. And also a special thanks to Sarah Davis for joining us for the third consecutive week to discuss the latest COVID scholarship. We will post a link to said scholarship online on our Facebook feed. We will also archive this episode online where you can listen to all of the Community Pulse episodes since we began this program in March. And you can also find them on Apple and Spotify podcasts. As Dr. Alleman alluded to, we will be implementing some programming changes. Next week will be the final week that Community Pulse will be coming to you four times a week, live right here from the downtown KOPN studios from 9 a.m. to 9.30. Following that, we are going to pair back to twice a week. And what is going to happen is uh, we will air on Monday and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. And the program will be followed by two new half-hour programs from 9.30 to 10 a.m. Between the Lines will be airing on Mondays and 51% will be airing on Wednesdays. Background Briefing, which we've been playing an abridged version of, will return to airing in its entirety on Tuesdays and Thursdays from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. As always, we welcome your thoughts, questions, comments, and insights. Please give us a call and leave us a message at 573-874-1139. You can also email us at gm at kopn.org. And the abridged version of Background Briefing is now set to follow. Thank you so much for tuning in to Community Pulse on your member-supported and or listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. We wish you a pleasant weekend. Please stay safe. Please stay informed. And don't forget, as Dr. Alleman said, cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body has the ability to fight an infection. A pleasant weekend to everyone. We will speak to you once again on Monday.